welcome to another episode of Woman Advantage. I am so excited to be joined by Melissa Burgess. You might know her as a Buffalo Sabres writer or a women's hockey reporter. Uh, I like to know her as a fellow suffering Sabres fan. Uh, Melissa, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, really ready for like being outside and talking to other humans in person again. But for now, I will settle for podcasting. Yeah, it's definitely uh, some interesting times that we're living in. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I start every email with, you know, how are you doing in the strange times we're living through? Uh, and I'm ready to just go back to not saying that. <laughs> yeah. So I will go and get started with what I like to call a softball question, which is, how did you get started in hockey? All right. So I've always said that I blame my mom for my um, interest in hockey because she was really how I got in, into hockey when I was a kid. So I grew up, um, you know, kind of right when the odd closed was right when I started getting into hockey. So I, I missed out on the whole odd phase, unfortunately, which I always wish that I could have seen a game there. But really, my first memories of hockey were going down to, you know, downtown and seeing the arena being built as it came up. We would take a drive down there every week or two and see it, you know, literally coming from the ground up. And I was five or six at the time. So, you know, it was kind of amazing to me to see this this thing being built up. And then, yeah, my mom was just really into hockey. My sister, who's a, a few years older than me, was into it. So, you know, I just naturally started watching um, when I was about six, seven years old. And uh, that was, you know, right around like the Pat LaFontaine era, the Ryan Holzinger, uh, Dominic Hasek, all that. So I really just fell in love with it. And it's never gone away over the years. You know, I mean, even when I was like a teenager, I just I stayed with it. And if anything, maybe I fell in more in love with this sport over the years, and just have developed it, you know, into a, a part of my life now. I love that. I feel like so many people's sports stories start with my dad was really into this sport. So it's so nice to hear that your mom was kind of what got you into it. Yeah, my dad was really more into football, actually. Um, I mean, he you know, he would watch some hockey with us, I guess. And I know that I have some photos of him like with us in the parking lot at the arena and stuff like that going to games. But it was definitely more my mom. Um, and, you know, she was into the Sabres from the beginning from the 70s. So really from her, I kind of just stemmed off. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's such a cool story. Like so many other women who work in hockey, hockey is not your day job. So how do you find balance between your paying full-time job and writing and covering hockey? Well, I think that I'm really lucky that my full-time job is a day job. My schedule is pretty much 8.30 to 4.30 Monday through Friday, which, you know, really leaves me open for evenings when there are games, Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sundays. Um, you know, I've got that time open. Um, but balancing it, it is a challenge, especially with all the different teams that I'm involved with, um, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll get into. But it's just about, you know, making sure that I have time for both of those things, but also that I have time for, you know, myself, because hockey is a passion, but it's not life, right? It's, it's something that I enjoy doing. It's something I enjoy being involved in. But it's just making sure that I can manage everything at once um so you know like taking advantage of the off season is always a big plus for me because it can get really crazy during the season balancing you know 40 hour work week and 
going to three or four games a week and covering other games and all that. So really just taking advantage of the free time when I have it or, you know, like the time around the holidays when most teams are off or things like that, just capitalizing on that free time to kind of make sure that I am balancing and keeping myself in check. Yeah, I found that it can be really easy to get swept up in kind of your passion projects and forget to take time to breathe and check in on your own mental health and your own self. So it's good that you you kind of have ways of doing that. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, everybody needs those outlets. And I think it's really easy for us to look at like our passion projects, like you said, as outlets. But then you also have to recognize when you need something outside of that even. Yeah. Definitely. So you don't just cover professional hockey. You also cover Canisius College, Go Griffs, and the Junior Sabres. How did you get involved in kind of that level of hockey? Um, So I'm going to be completely honest here, and this is going to sound probably super anti-feminist, but honestly, a lot of it has to do with my husband. We're both very involved in the Buffalo hockey scene. And really, the reason that I got involved with both of those teams was him. Um, He started working well, so I guess we'll start with the Junior Sabres. Um, he's been with working with the Junior Sabres since like 2011 or 12. Um, back in the day, I actually used to cover the Junior Sabres for like uh, a fan-sided blog, um, like a junior hockey fan-sided blog. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was years ago. This was before we even met. Um, and then once we started dating and, and got more involved, I, I you know, was like, well, if I'm going to these games to support you, then I might as well do something to help the team. Like, how can I get involved? Um, so I started off with uh, just running their video camera for the broadcasts, And then the next season, I kind of developed more into the social media side of things. And now I do their social media and I do some writing for the website and I do some graphics and I do this, the in-game video scoreboard that we just started toward the end of this season. Um, so kind of it's just blossomed from that initial beginning of like, well, I'm going to be here anyway, so I might as well do something because God knows I can't just go to a hockey game and sit there and watch, right? <laughs> like, um, and then Canisius is kind of the same thing, actually. Ryan started working with Canisius as their public address announcer and music director, and I was coming to games, and I'm, you know, again, sitting there like as a fan, and it's it's hard for me. I'm not used to doing that. So I'm like, okay, I've got to find a way to get involved here. Um, So I first actually started off with College Hockey News um, and reaching out to them. And I was their Atlantic hockey reporter for a couple of years, um, just writing features about the conference and a weekly recap. Um, And then this past offseason, I kind of decided that I I didn't want to do it for College Hockey News anymore. Um, It just didn't feel like the right fit for me. Um, So I actually pitched myself to Canisius and said, hey, I've been around your team for a few years, planning to still be around again. Can I write features for you guys? And lucky enough, they they picked up and they said, yeah, absolutely. So I did, you know, probably 10 feature stories for them over the course of the season. And it was nice to be like more directly involved with the team as opposed to being a beat reporter about the team because you know, I was able to kind of build relationships more with the players and the coaches. And um, hopefully that will continue in the fall. Yeah, hopefully there's hockey in the fall. (laughs) Yeah, fingers crossed. (laughs) I feel like everything just feels so tentative right now, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm trying to plan, like, am I going to get a mini pack for the Sabres? Am I going to do this? And it's just, I'm not even, like, is there even going to be a season? Who knows? Like, I'm not planning that far ahead anymore. Yeah. As someone who covers essentially every level of hockey, what would you say some of the biggest differences are between the levels when it comes to kind of the reception to your writing? Um, well, I think, you know, for college and, and junior, it's much more family oriented in that, like, the people who are receptive to the articles or the features that I'm doing or the videos or whatever that I'm putting together are the kids' families. You know, it's they're not really well known, most of them outside of that sphere, and their families and friends are very supportive. So it's really for them. Um, whereas, you know, when we're talking about professional hockey, whether it's the men's or the women's, it's a it's a broader audience in general, um, specifically for the men's, of course, because everyone, you know, in Buffalo knows who the Sabres are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, for the for the Buttes and for women's hockey, it's more of a niche market, but it's also trying to reach a wider audience and be like, hey, this is something that's also going on in your city. And here's something that you should pay attention to about it, you know, so. I think just it doesn't really change necessarily how I write something, but it does, you know, matter to take into consideration who the audience is primarily going to be. And like Mm -hmm. for a junior hockey piece or even a college hockey piece, I'm also thinking like, where are these guys going to go next year? You know, are they are they trying to go pro? You know, are we trying to help build up their careers so that they can, you know, move on and continue playing in a year or two or whatever? Whereas in pro hockey, obviously, they're they're already playing pro. So they're, they're already at that point. So you're not really thinking of yourself as so much as an, of an advocate for them um, as you are like at the junior level. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it as like your writing could be something that impacts or something that like a scout sees. So that's, that's awesome. Like you, you really do potentially have a chance to help someone's career along. Yeah. I mean, especially um, at the junior level, because, you know, every year for the past few years, um, the league that the junior Sabres play in the Ontario junior hockey league has a showcase where all of the teams in the league come to Buffalo and play two games over the course of like three days. And, you know, there's usually a a good handful of scouts that come um, from the OHL, from colleges across the U S and some colleges in Canada. And, And, you know, so just like thinking about it in that way, the content that I'm providing on social media, the video that I'm posting with, you know, this kid's highlights that could help a scout see him and decide to go after him for a college deal, you know, and that could make a difference in, in that kid's life ultimately. So um, I just try to think of that aspect of it when it comes to those guys. And, you know, for college, obviously they're already in college, but some of them are looking to continue their careers after they finish their education, whether it's in the ECHL or the AHL or, or what have you. So you know, it's always kind of important to be an advocate for them in that case. Yeah. And speaking of advocating for athletes, you and a few other writers at the Victory Press recently released an article that took a look behind the scenes of the NWHL before the PWHPA was formed. For people who haven't had the chance to read it yet, which you all really should, what were some of the big takeaways? Yeah, so this article's gotten a lot of traction on social media um it took a couple weeks for us to put it together but basically it's it's what i feel is a really important look at some of the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes in the nwhl over the last few years um and i think it's an important story because 
Obviously, you know, the NWHL is promoting itself as a professional women's hockey league, paying its players, all these good things. And of course, a league is going to do that. But it's equally important to me that people know these stories that were going on behind the scenes, like players in Boston uh, not having access to a restroom at their practice facility and having to use the bat, go to the bathroom in a trash can um, in a hallway if they needed to. And the fact is that that was happening, you know, a little over a year ago. Um, and it happened for about three quarters of the season before finally someone said, like, this is unacceptable. Um, so just things like that, that obviously the league isn't going to say, hey, we were having this happen. But it's important for people to know the whole story. That transparency is important. And, you know, I think the reaction to the piece has been mixed, um, which is, you know, kind of what I expected. But as a journalist, that's the important thing is to tell the truth, to tell both sides of things and to, you know, be fair and balanced in your coverage. Um, so basically, if you didn't read the piece, I'm going to suggest that you go ahead and do it. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it is quite lengthy. I will say it's about... I think it ended up being like 4,600 words. Um, but myself and Kirsten and Zoe from the Victory Press, we put a lot of work into it, um, writing it, editing it, and you know, making sure it was one really cohesive piece of journalism. Um, and I think that a lot of people, you know, read it and had a kind of an emotional response to it, which is completely understandable. Um, but I also think that a lot of the questions that people asked after it were answered in the piece like why didn't you name the players or why didn't you talk about all the good things nwhl has done or things like that whereas we didn't name the players because that would betray their trust in us and we you know didn't put a laundry list of good things the nwhl has done in there but we did say that the nwhl has corrected most of the issues that we talked about um so i think that i'm just really proud of what we put together and you know, I'm not going to lie, I was quite nervous to have it go out there in the world, but I'm really glad that it's out there and I'm glad that I got to be a part of, of telling those stories. Yeah, again, I'm going to suggest everyone read it. But, you know, for me, some of the big takeaways were not just the quotes from the players who had experienced some seriously not acceptable stuff, but the NWHL's response at the end was Oh, it felt almost combative to me. And comparing that to um, the statement that Anya Packer put out kind of on behalf of the NWL, NWHLPA, it just felt like there was there was some hostility in one and some things were bad and we're trying to fix it in the other. And it felt like very um, kind of disjointed. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, you know, no one was discrediting all the work that the NWHLPA has done. I know Anya has, you know, helped make a really great strides over the last few years. But at the same time, I also think it's important that people realize that most of what we were talking about was happening a little over a year ago. A year ago right now, some players still hadn't gotten their bonuses for the 2019 All-Star Game that happened in early February. So, you know, just take that into consideration and, and think about that like three months you know, more than three months later, a player still hadn't gotten the money that they were rightfully owed. So it's not like this was happening in year one, just, um, but it also doesn't mean that things haven't gotten better. But we just need to be, you know, aware of this and, and cautious and taking it into consideration when we watch what the league is doing going forward. 
Yeah, definitely. And as somebody who's had the chance to cover, you know, both the NWHL and the PWHPA, and you've had conversations with people kind of on both sides of this, you know, what do you think the future of women's hockey in North America looks like? That's a really tough question. Um, You know, and I think, well, first of all, I think that the pandemic has everything up in the air in general (laughs) anyways, let alone uh, sports, let alone women's sports are going to be even more impacted. But, you know, I think the the PWHPA just announced its kind of structure for next season um, in terms of they're going to have like five regional training hubs um, and they're going to kind of limit their rosters for games so that they can have that more rigorous training and more structured schedule and things like that. And um, and that's great. And obviously the NWHL is going ahead with their next season, which is supposed to start in November. Um so, you know, I think that this is going to kind of continue on for a, a little while. Uh, I don't see either league, you know, kind of going away on their own. Um, but I also don't necessarily see the NHL stepping up just yet to to kind of take over either. Um, so I think that the the future of, of women's hockey in North America is still really up in the air. Um, but I don't see, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, everybody has their own opinion on it. I don't see the PWHPA and the NWHL coming back together to, you know, work together as some people have suggested. And I think that, you know, all the things detailed in our article that we just put out for the victory press kind of points out why that's not really a plausible solution, because obviously, you know, if your employer made you pay for your own airfare to games and had you using the bathroom in a bucket at a practice facility, you probably wouldn't want to go back and work for them either. I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I tried to think about this question before we talked today, but it's so hard because there's just so many different variables. And then you even think like, you know, five years from now, who knows which of these players are even going to still be playing? Because obviously, like one thing you don't have to think about really with men's hockey that you do with women's hockey is some of these women want to start families. And how does that affect their playing career? You know, do they go back to playing after they've had a a child or do they not and and obviously either choice is totally up to them and totally acceptable but that does affect you know what we're talking about here so um, I think we all just need to kind of take it one day at a time especially in these days and and we'll see where it goes yeah women's women's sports in general always it always kind of feels like things are a little tenuous but in women's hockey in the last you know 18 months things have just been so day to day where I feel like I might like the CWHL folded like overnight. And so it's just like, what's going to happen next? Yeah. And this was all literally like within a year ago. And it's crazy to see how much has changed in that year. Like, how is that possible (laughs) that that was only a year ago? I don't know. Yeah, I (laughs) it's it's wild. It is truly, truly like the wild west of sports. Yeah, it's like, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah. It seems like more women than ever are getting involved in the hockey community, whether that's women's hockey or men's hockey. Do you think there's a particular reason for that? Honestly, I think, like, the internet and social media has a big role in that because you can, you know, if you're on the younger side of things or you're just trying to get into this market, you can see women who are in there, who are involved, who are successful, who are you know, doing it. Whereas, you know, back in the, 
don't want to say back in the day, but a few <laughs> years ago, you know, where if you, maybe you didn't have the internet like that. Would you see a woman on TV covering sports? You know, would you see a woman's name in the byline covering a game? Maybe, but it was, it seems like it was much more rare. Um, but, you know, social media and the internet not only gives us the opportunity to see these women, but also to interact with them. And, you know, I think I found that most, most women, sports fans, journalists, whatever you want to call them, whoever they are, any of them, are really willing to talk on, on social media. Like if it's a, a reporter that you look up to, if it's a player, if it's a fan, you know, you reach out to them via social media, you talk, you learn, you grow together. Like that's not something that was available back in the day necessarily. So it's becoming more commonplace because we're kind of building that network and, you know, they always say there's strength in numbers, right? Um, obviously there's still a lot of work to do, when it comes to women being involved in, in men's sports, particularly. But, you know, if we stick together and we help each other out, we'll make greater strides. 100%. That's incredibly true. It feels like I feel safer sometimes speaking out about some of the stuff that happens in sports, because I know that there are a bunch of women who have my back when I do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you're not going to be the only one. Have you experienced sexism in your time covering hockey and, you know, kind of being on hashtag hockey Twitter? And if so, you know, how do you handle it? I don't know that I've necessarily, I mean, obviously, I'm very fortunate to be able to say this, but I don't know that I've necessarily outwardly experienced sexism. Um, you know, I've definitely had plenty of men on hockey Twitter tell me that my opinions were wrong. And uh, especially back in the day when I would talk about the Patrick Kane incidents um, obviously I had a lot of men in my mentions who were you know arguing and complaining and all that but I don't necessarily know that it was sexist but it probably did have sexist undertones I probably just didn't recognize mm -hmm. it at the time let's be honest but you know I think there is definitely there's definitely aspects of being a, a woman in a typically male-dominated sport that we all have to contend with in our own way uh, whether it's, you know, being the only woman in a room uh, for a, a team meeting or, you know, or something like that, just realizing that you're the only one is kind of like, oh, right, this is happening. Um, and, you know, one thing, it's kind of related, but not really related. So I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. But, Go for it. <laughs> um, like whenever I'm in a media scrum, whether it's a, a Buttes game, which is usually a really small scrum or a Sabre, particularly really when I'm talking to about sabers or amherst or anything like that subconsciously or consciously i'm counting how many other women are in the room with me right now because it's still rare it's still like oh there's two of us and there's six men writers here doing this interview or oh i'm the only woman in here great like it's still a thing that you notice and um i even find myself doing that just when i watch interviews on tv like if a player is getting interviewed in the locker room, it's like, well, how many women can I see in that scrum? Or if there's a press conference, well, how many women are being, you know, are, are being called upon to ask questions? And it's just those little things that I, I take notice of that, you know, I don't think men really ever have to think about. Like, so yeah, I don't know, like, it was totally not related to your question, but kind of related. And I just felt like it was an important thing to say. No, that's it's so important to talk about it because 
when you're growing up, you look up to people or, you know, whatever you want to do for work. And if there's nobody who looks like you doing it, you feel like you can't do it. And so for all the like girls out there who maybe want to get into hockey when they watch those scrums, because if you're into hockey, you watch those scrums and you see one woman, if you're lucky, that it's got to be so discouraging. Yeah, I mean, especially like even if you listen to the radio, you know, sports talk radio, it's pretty much all men like you want to do that. It's intimidating to think like, oh, I want to get into this market that no one who looks like me is in. And I feel like sports um, TV, like news, you know, news stations with women covering sports. I feel like that's becoming more common, which is great. Um, But we would obviously would like to see that across the board. Um, Because it would be nice to not have a day where I'm counting the number of women in a a scrum. And I would just be like, oh, wow, it looks great. There's like pretty much equal representation. Yeah. Yeah. Gender parity in sports. What a concept. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, of course, we could talk about the race parity. But I'm sure I think you've had Jashvina on. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure she talks about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. She, if anyone here, we're both white. So I feel like it's not necessarily my topic to discuss, but you should go listen to Jashmina's podcast, Stick to Sports. Um, it's it's excellent, and it discusses kind of the the color barrier that still exists in sports in a lot of ways. How do you think hockey can be more inclusive of women? You know, I think it's it's up to the men, right? I mean, it's up to the men to to make sure that. Well, there's, you know, a couple different layers to this. One, we just really saw it's up to the men to make sure that the conversations around hockey are are open to women, are inclusive to women. So it's cutting those, you know, jokes about women in the locker room and all the stuff that we heard with Brendan Leipzig and his Instagram DMs of trash talking women. It's making sure that that kind of talk is not acceptable. And, and making sure, you know, your fellow players, your fellow coaches, whatever, know that that talk is not acceptable. Because as soon as it, you know, is acceptable, a woman is not welcome in that locker room. Because it's, you know, it's like an instantly hostile environment. And, you know, even if it's happening in private, quote unquote, private conversation like that, still doesn't make it acceptable. And obviously, it's hard to call your friends out on stuff like that. But that's how we get to a more inclusive place. Um, It's the same thing with, you know, racist remarks, homophobic remarks. It's calling people out when they say stuff like that and letting people know, hey, that's not acceptable anymore. Um, And that really just helps make it more inclusive. And and, um, also just for all of us, making sure that those spots are open for women and for people of color to to take, you know, that spot, not. Yeah you know, pushing them out or making them feel unwelcome or uncomfortable. Um, but I think it's something that, you know, we all can do, but it it starts with the men who are involved, right? They, they have to start. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of it is men not wanting to admit that their behavior, whether passive or aggressive, <laughs> has caused potential damage to somebody or admitting that their friend's behavior did because they've done something similar and they feel like they're being attacked. And I think a big part of it is going to be people just kind of sucking it up and saying what I did was wrong. Here's how it was wrong. And here's what I'm trying to do to make it better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's hard, right? It's uncomfortable. But well, we're not comfortable with things the way they are. So yeah, uh, you know, I think that 
We have to get uncomfortable in order to fix these things. Exactly. That's exactly it. What do you think we as just individual fans can do to try to push the game and the culture forward? It's hard. Um, you know, I think we've seen, you know, like the NHL take take up the, the hockey is for everyone thing and the pride tape stuff. And to a point, that's great. But, it you know, it doesn't feel like enough. Um, and I think that we need to push for more, right? We need to say, like, this isn't good enough. This is just your it's all talk. It's no action. Um, I think, you know, like forming a group like the Black Girl Hockey Club, that's a great way for fans to push and say, this is what we want. This is what we need. We're recognizing that something, a place for us didn't exist. So we made it ourselves. So I think just, you know, asking for more and pushing for more and really just stressing that this is what we want. This is what we need. And also to an extent, kind of just what we talked about is calling people out with, hey, that's not acceptable. When you see someone making a joke about, you know, Sidney Crosby, the Cindy, Cindy Crosby kind of thing, like people will just let that stuff fly on social media. But like, if you don't call people out, they're just going to think it's okay. And, and obviously calling people out comes with its own risks. You know, it comes with people don't always react well to that. They're going to call you names, things like that. So obviously there are those risks to take into consideration, but it's also making sure people are aware that that kind of behavior is not acceptable and isn't going to be okay going forward. Definitely. How do you think we can get more women involved in hockey? I think just by, you know, being open and being willing to kind of mentor people almost, you know, it is it, for those of us who are involved in hockey, it's just making it, making that space and that safe space available for women, whether it's, you know, a fan who, you know, wants to learn more about the game and doesn't quite know how to get involved or, or learn more because, you know, that's a starting point is, is if there's a girl out there who wants to learn more about the NHL and learn more about hockey, how does she do that without getting judged or without getting you know told by men like oh you're just doing that to attract men or oh you shouldn't like this team or whatever you know what I mean like how do you get in- interested and how do you learn more about the sport in a safe way where someone's not going to judge you for what you do or don't know or what you you know are interested in um and you know for journalists or, or writers or podcasters or whatever I think it is we have to be open to be kind of a mentor to someone who wants to get into the field themselves and share our experiences with things that we've, you know, dealt with over the years or how, you know, we felt uncomfortable in this situation, but we, you know, asked for something that helped us or we turned this situation around or, you know, we, we made the thing, the situation work for us and this is how you can do it too. Um, so I think just being open to help others, you know, it's that it sounds really simple and maybe it sounds stupid, but everybody needs that little bit of help. Right. And, and especially as a woman, you know, in a male dominated sport, like we said, we all need to help each other. And I think just being open for that communication is, is a big help. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. It's, it's being open to helping people and kind of not, looking back at your experience with rose-covered glasses and being like, well, I suffered to get here, so everyone has to, and trying to make it better and remove some barriers for that next generation of women trying to get into the sport. Yeah, exactly. It's not just about, you know, me and what I've dealt with or what I'm dealing with or how things are going to go for me going forward. 
it's also about all the people who are going to come after me and what they're going to have to experience and how can I make that experience for them better? Yeah, that's exactly it. Do you have one piece of advice for uh, for any women or girls who are trying to get started in just in the hockey world? Honestly, just walk in like you own the place. That's, that's all I can say. Um, I think that there is a lot of power in, you know, owning your position and owning your strength and just knowing like, I'm here, I belong here. And no one can tell me otherwise, you know, whether it's you're walking into the rink as a fan, when there may not be a lot of people in the stands that look like you, or you're a writer walking into a locker room to do post game interviews and knowing, hey, I'm probably the only woman in here. You can't let it intimidate you. It, it can get really intimidating, but just walking in there with that power and that strength of I belong here and I'm going to do a kick-ass job at whatever I'm doing will get you, you know, will get you to a good position. And I know it's not always easy. I know that there's things that will bring you down, but just doing the best you can to walk in there and know your strength can really help. Yeah. You got to fake it till you make it sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> you got to have and you got to have faith that you're going to make it, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you have to trust that there are going to be people who are going to help you up along the way, which I won't speak for you, but I will be there and Melissa, I'm just assuming you'll be there to help up other women along the way. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> All right, Melissa, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting. Where can people find your stuff? Oh, where can't they find my stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So first off, you can find me on Twitter um, at underscore Melissa Burgess. Um, You can find my writing about women's hockey uh, and occasionally other women's sports or feminist issues at the Victory Press. So it's victorypress.org. We are a reader-funded organization. So we do have a Patreon, um, but you can also make a one-time donation to help support us. You can also find my writing about the Buffalo Sabres at the SB Nation Die by the Blade blog, um, where I write about the Sabres, Amherst, things like that. Uh, You can find my writing about Canisius College Hockey at gogriffs.com. And you can follow the Buffalo Junior Sabres, um, particularly the OJHL under 20 team is really the team that I specifically work with. We're on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. We have a website. Um, so I pretty much do a lot of the content for that video highlights and graphics and things like that. So you can follow along there and hopefully come see us when the season starts, whenever that is, fingers crossed. Um, and is that it? Yes, that's it. Oh, and... <laughs> Uh, you'll probably see me at a hockey rink around Buffalo at some point in the fall because I'm always at the rink. So yeah. I can confirm that um, the the one Canisius game I went to this year, I'm pretty sure I saw you sitting there and I didn't want to disrupt you. And I was also very starstruck because Kyle Dubas was there. Yes, I remember that because uh, Kyle Dubas was there and Jason Botterill was there. Yes, they shook hands. And I was like, I was, I was sitting, like, are they making a trade right now? I was sitting right in front of Kyle Dubas and I turned around and I was like, that's Kyle Dubas. And then Jason Botterill walked up and I was like, what is happening? It was a... I was like, oh man, there's a trade brewing here. Maybe I have an insider scoop. And then <laughs> I didn't, but it was still fun. Um, but you can also find me um, if you... We didn't really touch on the ISIL hack talk that I just gave. Um, but if you go back into the archives for the ISIL hack isolation hockey analytics conference, I talked about analytics in pro women's 
hockey in North America. Um, so you can also check that out and hopefully get involved in gathering analytics for pro women's hockey in North America next season. So yes, 10 out of 10 recommend one listening to your talk because it was great. But also if you have the time and the ability to help with the data collection, you really should because women's hockey is, is growing and it'd be great if we can kind of track that. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, Thank you again, Melissa. This has been wonderful. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, You can find the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. I would really appreciate it if you rated us five stars, gave us a review. It helps other people find us. And if you have the ability to and are willing to, we do have a Patreon and all support is so welcome. And uh, we really appreciate all of your support, whether it's just listening or financially. So again, uh, this has been Woman Advantage. Uh, I'm Hannah, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.